You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories in just a moment, but we begin with more details on breaking news out of Victoria at this hour. Sergeant at Arms Gary Lenz has resigned. He's one of the central figures in the legislature spending scandal. Richard Zussman joins us now with the very latest. Richard, get everyone up to speed here. Chris Lenz has served here at the B.C. Legislature since 2009. No more resigning effective today. As you mentioned, he was part of this ongoing spending scandal here at the B.C. Legislature. It was both Clerk Craig James and Lenz accused of misspending by Speaker Daryl Plekis. James resigned back in May and now Lenz has followed suit. Global News has learned that Lenz has seen a report that was done under the Police Act by former uh, Vancouver Police Deputy Chief uh, Doug Lepard. That was based on uh, accusations brought forward with somebody with law enforcement uh, background that had made accusations that were a human resources matter rather than a criminal matter here at the legislature. And the understanding is Lenz has now seen that report. We also just received about 20 minutes ago a statement from Gary Lenz and let me read to you in part that statement. After considerable reflection I have concluded that the damage that has been done to my reputation will never be fully repaired and that if I continued at Sergeant at Arms I would be doing a disservice to the office. I have served my office with loyalty and integrity and have cooperated with every request that has been made of me since being removed from the office in November 2018. Chris, the legislature now looking for a new Sergeant at Arms. Well, the police investigation, Richard, is still ongoing, so could there still be charges yeah. laid here? There could be. There is that ongoing RCMP investigation that was kicked off because of the Plekis report. Two special prosecutors are working their way through that. No word from the Speaker's office about how long that investigation may take place, but very well they could decide that charges are necessary. As you will remember, a lot of accusations here around misspending, including the purchase of suits and that infamous wood splitter. Mm -hmm. Richard Zussman reporting from Victoria. Thank you, Richard. Well, tonight, our first look at key evidence in the double murder trial of Rocky Rambo Waynem Kem. He's pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of a Vancouver couple. But as Rumina Dea shows us, Crown Counsel introduced video they say connects Waynem Kem to one of the murder weapons. And a warning, some of the details in this story are disturbing. The man seen in CCTV footage cruising the aisles at Canadian Tire on September 13, 2017, is the accused, says Crown. Daniel Mulligan says Rocky Rambo Wayne Cam bought a hatchet, gardening gloves and a baseball cap two weeks before Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones were discovered dead in their Marpole home. Crown's theory, the items were purchased with the intent to kill someone, but there's no relationship between the accused and the victims. Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder. VPD Detective Simon Cracknell testified the man he arrested about six weeks after the victim's bodies were found is the same man seen in the Canadian Tire footage. Cracknell went on to identify the man in the footage as the accused. Several witnesses, including a newspaper delivery man and police, have testified they saw a knife and hatchet outside the victim's home. 
The weapons, plus the bloody footprints on the back steps of the victim's home, the first signs of the catastrophic scene inside. Veteran first responders had testified the home was covered in blood. The couple's bodies dragged from their kitchen to the bathroom, where they were discovered in the shower stall. The water still running, says Crown. The accused lived less than a kilometre away. The couple's DNA found on the hatchet and the baseball hat, according to Mulligan, who previously told the court Ma Jones's DNA was also discovered on the accused's glasses. It appears there was a struggle. Cam's DNA discovered under Ma Jones's fingernails, according to Crown's evidence. All right, Ramina joins us live outside the courthouse tonight. Any clearer picture around the motive, Ramina? Sophie, we still don't know why this happened. It's unclear if Mr. Jones may have been targeted or followed because he used a walker. There was no forced entry to the home. We heard from a forensic officer last week. And she also said last week that robbery didn't appear to be an apparent motive. So at this point, we're all eagerly waiting to hear defense's theory of what happened. Sophie. Rumina Dea reporting at BC Supreme Court. Thanks, Rumina. Transit police credit a public appeal with helping them to identify a suspect in two violent robberies. Last month, police released these images of a man they say choked two victims until they lost consciousness and then robbed them. Today, they're identifying him as 42-year-old Andrew Krismanitz. He has no fixed address, but he's well known to police. We are asking for uh, members of the public, if you know his whereabouts, to please contact us. We do have information to believe that he may have possibly headed east, uh, as in toward uh, Ontario, or that he possibly headed uh, to the Sunshine Coast. Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou was back in court today listening to arguments from the Canadian government that her detention and arrest in 2018 did not violate any of her rights. Defense has argued Meng was detained as part of what they call a covert criminal investigation and that the CBSA and RCMP colluded to deny the Chinese national her rights during a three-hour interrogation at YVR. Crown says her rights were never in question, arguing border guards have the power to detain people, seize their electronic devices and demand the passcodes. The hearing is set to last three more days. Meng's extradition hearing won't begin until January and will stretch well into 2020. Two B.C. men are hoping to start a class action lawsuit going after an e-cigarette giant. The pair claims Juul misled customers when it said vaping products were a safer, healthier alternative to cigarettes. They say Juul destroyed their health. Ted Chernecki reports. Skateboarding's always been a way of life for 19-year-old Jason Stevens in Armstrong. Not so much anymore. He'd never smoked tobacco, but last year decided to start vaping. And that's when he says his health started to deteriorate. I have non-stop breathing problems ever since, like... I've started noticing them from vaping. He's now one of two teenagers listed as plaintiffs in what could become a class action lawsuit against vaping manufacturer Juul, based out of San Francisco, but with offices in Vancouver and Toronto. The lawsuit is primarily about what Juul is not telling people who buy their product. These products have to be labeled with a full and fair warning of all possible adverse health effects. And although we are seeing some disclosure about the nicotine and its risks, we've seen, at least in our early analysis, no disclosure of the respiratory illness symptoms. 
I don't know if you can hear it right now, but that's that's the sound of the liquids in my lungs from the vapes. And that's the sound I started hearing after I started using the tool. The statement claims Jason suffers shortness of breath, chronic bronchitis, pneumonia, chest pains, among other symptoms. Both plaintiffs are doing better since they've quit vaping. In a statement, Jewel Labs Canada writes, We have not been served with the statement of claim and at this time are not able to provide any further comment. Others are commenting, suggesting there's plenty of blame to go around. We've actually failed to convince most of our 5 million adult smokers that these may help them to quit. We've utterly failed in terms of preventing them from being used among kids. It'll be months before this case goes to trial. In the meantime, others who have similar symptoms are being asked to step forward. We are interested in hearing from people who have used the Juul e-cigarette, who have developed any of the health symptoms we've discussed, including respiratory symptoms and increased addiction. Ted Chernacki, Global News. A renewed public appeal tonight for tips to help solve a deadly hit and run. One year ago today, 69-year-old Sharon Mitchell was in the marked crosswalk at the intersection of 68th Avenue and 138th Street in her wheelchair when she was struck and killed by a southbound vehicle. The driver did not stay at the scene. While nothing can take away the grief that this family has suffered over the last year, Witnesses can bring some comfort to the family by assisting us in solving this case. Despite all our grief, we still have hope that someone will come forward with some answers. I know you couldn't do the right thing then, but you can still do the right thing now. Please help give our family some peace. Police are releasing new details about the vehicle. They say it's a... 1995 or 1997 blue-green hatchback. They believe it might have been a Pontiac Firefly, Suzuki Swift, or Geo Metro. Canada's main federal party leader spent today focusing on two of the country's battleground regions, making appearances in both Toronto and Vancouver. Global's Jamie Marocker has more from the campaign trail. For the second day, Justin Trudeau kept his focus on the gun violence plaguing the Toronto area, meeting with mayors from across the region. A re-elected Liberal government will give municipalities the option and the authority to ban or restrict handguns. But when asked if they would support a national handgun ban, all the mayors raised their hands. Still, Trudeau would not commit, pointing to his party's plan to instead outlaw military-style assault weapons. We are moving forward uh, on a full-out ban on assault weapons, and we're moving forward to empower municipalities across this country, cities big and small, to ban handguns. Uh, within their districts. Not far away, Conservative leader Andrew Scheer was in Toronto focusing on foreign policy, announcing his party's promise to cut foreign aid spending by 25%. Our plan will take your hard-earned tax dollars away from dictators and relatively wealthy countries and put them back in your pockets so that you can get ahead. Already among the lowest contributors, Scheer appeared confident the move would not affect Canada's bid for a UN Security Council seat. I think what Mr. Scheer is doing is a distraction. There are incredibly wealthy people in Canada that are not paying their fair share. Meanwhile, wrapping up an entire week in B.C., NDP leader Jagmeet Singh met with families in the Vancouver area, pledging a tax on those with fortunes over $20 million. I don't work for the rich, I work for you. While once again highlighting his commitments on pharmacare, childcare and housing affordability. Singh said he will be moving on to Ontario next, before all three leaders make their way to Montreal for Wednesday's French debate. Jamie Rocker, Global News. 
All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with the details of a new poll that shows two parties, Keith, appear to be pulling away from the pack. Yeah, a pretty consistent finding from our pollster, Ipsos, Chris. It's been a two-party race since uh, day one, and that hasn't changed. The numbers really aren't moving in any great direction. But first of all, here's the latest results from Ipsos. Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives are on top at 37%. That's up one point from the poll last week. And we're talking about decided voters here. Justin Trudeau and the Liberals continue to climb a bit in the polls, uh, rising two points to 34%. Uh, the NDP, though, continues to lag far behind in third place. They've basically are stuck in neutral at 15%. Jagmeet Singh not really moving the numbers there. The biggest move uh, of all the parties since the campaign began is the Green Party and Elizabeth May down four points of just 7% of the decided vote. That's a big drop for the Greens. And of course, the Bloc and the People's Party come uh, trailing far back as well. Now, other findings in the poll are interesting. According to Ipsos, the Conservatives and the Liberals are essentially tied in public opinion uh, in British Columbia. So, uh, again, that's been the case since almost day one of the campaign. When it comes to the Liberals' performance, 38% now think the Liberals deserve re-election. That's up a few points from the poll last week. And in terms of who is the best Prime Minister, uh, Andrew Scheer and Justin Trudeau are essentially tied in the public's view at 33% each. Our pollster, Daryl Bricker, making the point, though, the Liberals are in trouble here if they can't get their vote out and get people excited about this campaign. They haven't done that so far. What it really shows right now is that the incumbent government is in a lot of trouble. Uh, and unless they can get some enthusiasm behind uh, their voters, and unless they can, uh, they can start to gain a bit more on the Conservatives and maybe move ahead of them, we may be looking at uh, very best for the Liberals on election night at a minority government, and quite possibly we could be looking at a Conservative uh, plurality of seats and the potential for them to form the government. So Ipsos will con continue to test public opinion as the campaign progresses. So the next big event on the campaign will be Monday, October 7th. That's the English leaders' debate, and a public opinion should be affected by that as well. All right, Keith, thanks very much. Well, a reminder, we're celebrating Variety Week all this week, and we will be featuring children whose lives have been changed thanks to the equipment and services that Variety helps to fund. That's right. We're talking about kids with mental health problems, injuries, in many cases, genetic conditions, or kids who've been diagnosed with cancer. And you have the opportunity to help. Our goal is to help 60 kids per day. And our friends at Whitespot are going to help make that happen by matching donations during tonight's news hour. So if you can, please call now to double your money. The number's 310-KIDS. First, though, a warning tonight about a Craigslist rental scam that's left several people out hundreds of dollars and a Langley couple a little rattled. Catherine Urquhart explains what's happening and the red flags police say renters should watch for to spot something that's too good to be true. Lillian and Dwayne Seymour have lived in their Langley home for decades and have no plans to leave. But in recent weeks, four people have shown up on their doorstep, saying they either want to rent it or are moving in. I told the person it was not for rent, and they said that they were from the real estate in Calgary. Turns out that unbeknownst to them, someone had placed their house on Craigslist, saying it was for rent. The ad, which has now been removed, showed exterior photos of the Seymour home, but the interior pics showed someone else's residence. Uh, she uh, put a deposit of $800 to these people, which she had said she had wrote 
had a contract. She must have been upset when she showed up. Very, very upset. She was wanting to move, going to move in today. Well, they were told apparently not not to uh, not to come in and bother the the tenants that were here now. Langley RCMP confirmed they are aware of the scam. In an instance like this, we know there's more out there, and if we hear of one, it's a single incident. If we hear of two or three, it's multiple, and it it's obviously more alarming. Lillian and Dwayne are also urging caution, hoping that no more victims show up on their doorstep. Beware of what you're getting into. Don't believe what you're reading, Craigslist. No, do not believe Craigslist. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, a lot of people may be thinking about going electric, but there are a number of misconceptions that keep some from ditching their gas guzzlers. BC Hydro pulled more than 1,100 people over the summer, 70% say the main reason they haven't switched from an internal combustion car to an electric car is because they're concerned with the availability of public charging. 60% of those who have switched are charging at home or at work. BC Hydro says charging an electric vehicle at home costs about $20 a month, while you spend 170 bucks on average for gas for a vehicle around the same size. Public chargers are, are great. They're a great supplement to, to home charging, but most people uh, charge at home or at work. Most EV owners charge at home or at work. Um, and uh, we also found that um, there's a huge misconception around uh, going to gas stations versus charging up at um, an EV charging station. People think that they have to visit a public charger daily uh, and more, more often than they actually have to. It's October 1st, and that means winter tires are now mandatory on many B.C. highways. Drivers caught without four matching snows could face a fine of $109. There must either be the three-peaked mountain and snowflake or the M&S, the mud and snow symbols as well. And chains are mandatory for commercial vehicles. Stats show a significant spike in serious crashes this time of year due to people driving too fast for the conditions. Uh, In fact, we see an increase of 87% to December compared to October uh, in terms of crash numbers. That that really amounts to an average of 236 crashes in December compared to 126 in October. A good Samaritan is being credited with saving an injured hiker who got lost on the North Shore Mountains. North Shore Rescue was called out Sunday night for a female hiker with an ankle injury on the Coliseum Mountain Trail. Crews say the woman was with a hiking group she met online, but when she couldn't keep up, they left her behind. She called 911, but was unable to provide crews with the location before communication was lost. Luckily, an experienced hiker coming down the same trail saw her and was able to call for help. It's so wrong that it's hard to actually describe. It's it's hard to fathom that people would actually leave someone behind in a situation like that. We have people that we're still looking for in Lynn Headwaters Park that have never been found because they were out on their own. Um, And I think this woman was very lucky that didn't happen to her. She was injured. She had no idea where she was or how to get back. So, you know, I think this really serves as an example of what not to do. 
The male hikers stayed with the injured woman until crews were able to reach her. North Shore Rescue was reminding hikers to be prepared for the conditions when heading into the backcountry and to always leave a trip planned behind just in case. This week, we are sharing stories of how variety has helped kids across B.C. who are suffering as a result of genetic conditions, illnesses, or accidents. Grant suffered a traumatic brain injury as a baby, leaving him with speech and language impairments. But thanks to variety, the now five-year-old is making huge strides. Here's Kylie Stanton. What's your name? My name is Grant. It may be just an iPad, but for Grant Weaver... This is his voice. What do you like to do sometimes? I love to go for car rides. With the touch of a button, the five-year-old can communicate effectively. His wants, his needs, even his emotions. I feel, I feel happy. There you go. But actually speaking the words is a challenge. Grant suffered from a brain injury at seven months of age. And... Um, since that time, it's been a kind of a long road. In 2015, rescuers found Grant and his mother floating in the Puntledge River. Her vehicle parked nearby. She drowned. Grant survived. But the lack of oxygen to his brain has largely impaired his speech and language development. Do you want to play caribou first? Grant basically at this point has made a lot of progress in the last six months. Nice asking, Grant. And his understanding of speech and language is much greater than his ability to use expressive language. But through these sessions, funded by Variety, the children's charity, that's beginning to change. Three, two, one. Whoa, there it goes. He's using two-syllable words now. He's using three to four word phrases. Chef. Nice, good sh sound, high five. It's really nice to see, yeah. His confidence has really enabled him to try to build more relationships with others and, uh, you know, kind of remove or eliminate some of that isolation that sometimes comes with not being able to be verbal. Every dollar donated gives kids like Grant a chance to succeed. Farmer. A chance. Mer. To find their voice. Good job. Nice job, Grant. I wouldn't be able to afford even a fraction of the speech that he gets. And it's been absolutely a game changer for our family. Without the generosity of British Columbians, it would be, uh, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. Woohoo! Great to see Grant progressing so well. well. We want kids like Grant to be heard. With your donations, Variety can help kids across the province with expensive and critical speech and language therapy. So please call now 310KIDS or text the word KIDS to 45678. That'll make an automatic $20 donation. You can also visit variety.bc.ca to make your donation. And we want to meet our goal of 60 kids per day. And again, White Spot will be matching your donations made during the news hour. You can double the money. Very mm -hmm. easy. Okay. Uh in northeast Taiwan, a terrifying scene as a bridge collapses during the morning commute. At least 12 people were injured and two killed when the span caved. A tanker truck carrying oil plummeted into the water and crushed three fishing boats before bursting into flames. Military dive teams searched for victims trapped underwater. The collapse is under investigation. However, one day before, a typhoon swept through the region with high winds that may have weakened the bridge. 
A major escalation of police aggression in Hong Kong as pro-democracy protesters rallied on China's National Day. <laughs> Tens of thousands marched in the streets clashing with police as the Communist Party celebrated 70 years of power in Beijing. Police responded with a battery of tear gas, rubber bullets and water cannons. At one point, a police officer shot a high school student at close range with a live round. The 18-year-old was sent to hospital in serious condition. This is the first time in four months of protest that someone has been hit with live ammunition. At least 66 people were injured in today's violence. High drama in a Dallas courtroom today as a former police officer was found guilty of murder. The jury rejected the woman's tearful defense that it was all a horrible mistake that led her to the wrong apartment where she shot an unarmed neighbor. About five hours of jury deliberations led to this moment. We, the jury, unanimously find the defendant, Amber Geiger, guilty of murder as charged in the indictment. The family of the man Amber Geiger shot erupted in cheers, but the former Dallas police officer sat silent. The dramatic verdict capped a trial that had captivated the country. I ask God for forgiveness. I hate myself every single day. Geiger had claimed she feared for her life when she killed her unarmed neighbor, Botham Jean, mistaking him for a burglar in her apartment. Turns out she'd accidentally barged in on his unlocked apartment on the wrong floor. It's a sad reality that this community waited on pins and needles to decide whether or not someone could be held guilty for killing an unarmed black man in his home while eating ice cream. During closing arguments, Geiger's attorneys had brought up Texas's so-called castle doctrine, similar to stand-your-ground laws in other states, which allow someone to use deadly force against an intruder in self-defense. Why is it absurd to apply the castle doctrine in this case? Because there was just so many instances, as, as the prosecutors argued, that she knew or should have known that she was not uh, in her apartment. Perhaps the trial's key moment was when Geiger was cross-examined and pressed on her intent at the time. When you aimed and pulled the trigger at Mr. Jean, shooting him in center mass exactly where you are trained, you intended to kill Mr. Jean. I did. Late today, during sentencing, Jean's mother took the stand. My life has not been the same. It's just been the most terrible time for me. More and more police are using those popular doorbell cams to help solve violent crimes. In one case, the video leading to an arrest in an attack and kidnapping. Miguel Almaguer reports. No, no, no. The attack was captured on a doorbell camera as the victim ran from her estranged boyfriend, who police say dragged her off a front porch and assaulted her. The video leading to the arrest of Robert Mendez, the latest in a string of crimes captured by cameras like Ring. Just days ago, a young realtor was attacked by a man during an open house. The video shared so many times, other real estate agents recognized the suspect leading to his arrest. From an overnight shooting to this woman being robbed this week in Southern California. Police are using videos to nab suspects. When we have a major incident, such as a shooting or a robbery in the city, they're providing real-time information using all this different technology. From porch pirates. Hey, put that down. To violent crimes. It's no longer just neighbors watching front doors. 
More than 400 law enforcement agencies have partnered with companies like Ring. Some cities are even asking residents to voluntarily share access to their video, creating a network of private security cameras and concerns about privacy. But tonight, the cameras are also leading to arrests. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. A shocking scene at the Bronx Zoo. Take a look at this. A woman climbed over the visitor safety barrier at the Lion's Den exhibit and appears to taunt the animal, which just stares her down from only a few feet away. Witnesses say the woman said hi to the lion and did a brief dance. It's hard to see, but there is a moat there separating the king of the jungle and the queen of bad judgment. No injuries were reported. The zoo has not confirmed if they have identified the woman and what charges, if any, she could be facing. Needless to say, she is very lucky. In Health Matters tonight, a UK newspaper recently reported that this year's flu shot for the Northern Hemisphere, which of course includes Canada and the US, may not match the actual viruses that we will be experiencing. But according to the BC Centre for Disease Control, it's too early to know. Each year, experts with the World Health Organization predict which four flu viruses are likely to be most prevalent. Those predictions are what each year's flu vaccines are based on. The BC CDC says that as in previous years, we won't know how effective the vaccine will be until the season begins in November. Those things get monitored by the professionals all the time. I think the key uh, for people, especially people who are at risk, which means uh, uh, is to, to get immunized against the flu this year, as in every year. I think that's important. I'm happy now. Unfortunately, happiness turns to fear pretty quickly for a 70-year-old woman who tried tandem paragliding. How it all went wrong right after Christie's forecast. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon is with us with the start of that sunset. Mm -hmm. Oh, it looks like wow. a good one. Sure is. I just can't get enough of them. This is day number four. We've been treated to sunsets like this. Official sunset happens at 6.51. Is that 6? Are we at 6.59? No, 6.41 right now. Mm -hmm. So in 10 minutes exactly, but uh, nonetheless enjoying it right now. And I've got a few more photos from last night's sunset coming up a little bit later because uh, I couldn't get enough of them. All right. Um, this morning, we did have a bit of cloud cover, although it was mainly sunny through the rest of the part of the day. But in that cloud cover, cirrostratus altocumulus clouds, we saw a number of fall streak holes. So thank you to everyone who's shared those photos with us. We've seen them before across the south coast. It's when you get super cooled water droplets in the layer of cloud and all of a sudden they begin to freeze and then these are actually um, ice crystals falling from the sky and it creates that hole. I'll have a better explanation for you on the website in any second. We are having problems with the internet but it will be up there any second I promise you. Also on um, my Twitter and Facebook page so check that out. There's a further explanation and more details about how it's actually created. Now across the Canada we uh, hit 31 degrees in Toronto today with the Humidex 39 degrees whereas the prairies still in the deep freeze well below seasonal and our region near seasonal but but it certainly has been cold at night. Now, tonight, it's going to be a little bit warmer. No areas dropping below the freezing mark tonight, and we'll see 7 degrees as our low in Metro Vancouver. Tomorrow, a change, though. We'll see more cloud cover, but we're not expecting the rain until tomorrow evening, and even at that point, it's just a chance of showers in the evening. More so, we'll see it overnight. Tomorrow, during the day, it will be the north and central coast that will see the rain. Inland regions here, increasing cloud later in the day. We will see increasing cloud in the morning, so generally overcast for our day and 
the chance of showers in the evening tomorrow with the bulk of the rain overnight Wednesday through our Thursday. A little cool on Thursday also. And then Friday, just a chance of showers for everyone wanting to come out to uh, Variety Week. Uh, final party down um, in Stanley Park and then over the weekend we'll see some sunshine. Here are the photos that I wanted to show you. Vancouver sunset from last night and Hope sunset. There you go. Wow. Beautiful crescent moon in that other one too. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you, Christy. So a paragliding excursion over Turkey proved to be much more frightening than expected for a 70-year-old Danish woman. Things were going well at the beginning of the tandem jump, but then the main rope of their paraglider suddenly snapped. The pilot managed to gain control, though, and guide them to a safe landing in the ocean. The video wasn't recovered until two days later. The woman was seemingly unfazed. She vows to try this again next year. What are the chances it happens twice like that? I <laughs> right. mean, sure. <laughs> Again. Crazy. All right, here's Squire now with a look ahead to sports. You never do it, I know. Not a chance. Oh, never camera ever. one is having some What issues. is that? What is that noise? <laughs> yeah, always when I come on. Well? Yeah. No. Okay. I thought they didn't. So too. No, they didn't. All right. Kind of holding it back. Uh, so today... So today is not the day. Just the, ignore it. I am. Today is not the day the Canucks named their captain. It sounded like it was going to be named today. They kind of said they would have an announcement about it, and they did have an announcement. But the message from the coach was, "You're going to have to wait another week to find out who gets the C," which we all think is Bo Horvat. But this is what Travis Green had to say about it. Uh, the announcement I have today is that we are going to name a captain this season. Um, we've put a lot of thought into it. It's, uh, we don't take it lightly. We think that it's the right time for our organization and uh, the right time for the person we're going to name. We're going to do it. Uh, we think it's a special moment and uh, something that our fans should be able to, to witness firsthand. And we're going we're to make the announcement uh, on our first home game Wednesday night. Oh, the camera's quiet now. Uh, tomorrow is the start of the Canucks season in Edmonton. All of the new additions this summer took a bit of the spotlight off of the first full season for Quinn Hughes, which is probably a good thing. I don't think he needs any more pressure than he already has. It's one thing to adjust to the NHL as a forward, like we saw last year with Elias Pettersson. But remember, Pettersson did hit the wall in the last third of the season. He looked comfortable, though, in game one. And he was comfortable for the first, I don't know, 60 to 70 percent. But it's not as easy for a defenseman to make the adjustment, especially a smaller defenseman who will have players taking runs at him like never before. But Quinn Hughes is going to get power play time. He's going to get lots of minutes to work the kind of offensive magic he showed us in college and the kind of magic he showed us at times in his five-game trial last season. I'm, I think I'm just excited to you know, play a full year here. It was really fun, five games. Um, you know, I want to see how our team can do. I think we got a good team here. I want to see how I can do individually as well. Um, you know, I think all those combined, I think it should be a fun year and just see, uh, you know, how it unfolds. How it unfolds will be interesting on several fronts. Last year was prized rookie Elias Pettersson, who was front and center. This year's rookie spotlight shines brightly on Quinn Hughes. Uses that elite caliber defenseman that the Canucks have desperately yearned for over the years. He's so mobile. He's he can escape a lot of a lot of trouble plays and spin and spin out of things and and make little plays that um, that 
are, are incredible. He, he's super confident, like you said. Um, obviously, he's a very smart player, very smart um, hockey mind, and, he, and he's super skilled. So, I mean, I think if you put all three of those things together, you can create a pretty good player. The biggest question surrounding Quinn Hughes this season is durability. We're not talking about his size. We all know that Quinn can skate, shoot, and will quarterback one of the Canucks' power play units, but will he be able to withstand the mental and physical rigors of a full 82-game NHL season? I'm trying to stay pretty level-headed. Um, you know, I think one thing I've been trying to focus on this summer was just trying to stay um, even keeled throughout the year because um, there's going to be good nights and bad nights, and I don't want to, you know, just go up and down, up and down, trying to stay in the middle. But uh, he's another guy that I don't. I don't need to put more pressure on this young man's shoulders than he has because he's wired the right way. He wants to be a good player, and he's going to be a good player. But I don't want to stifle him. Uh, I want him to be a game-breaker, and uh, I think he's smart enough to figure out his way, and we're going to have to protect him some nights as well. And maybe we adjust his minutes from game to game, depending on the game, depending on if he's tired. He's going to play a schedule that he hasn't played before. He's going to have to practice harder than, he hasn't, than he's practiced before. And uh, those are all things you have to take in, into account with a young player. One thing about Andre de Grasse, when it's a big event, he knows how to run his way onto the podium. At the Olympic Games, he has won silver and two bronze medals. At the World Championships, three bronze and now one silver. It came today in the men's 200-meter final. And there he is. Depending on how the relay team does, he could win three medals at this year's championships. Noah Lyles of the U.S. won, but the grass finished second to get the silver. Well, Harry Kane and Tottenham were stunned today against Bayern Munich. It was kind of like when Germany beat Brazil in the World Cup a few years ago. They just went right through Tottenham. Joshua Kimmich had the goal there. Serge Gnabry had four goals. That's one of them. Here's another. It was just a clinic from Byron Munich. And the final, that's not a misprint. 7-2, Byron Munich over Tottenham in Champions League play. Last check, Milwaukee 3, Washington 1 in the fifth inning. Canada, New Zealand tomorrow, Rugby World Cup. Meghan Markle are suing the Mail on Sunday. The Duchess filing a claim the newspaper unlawfully printed a private letter. Prince Harry blasting the British tabloid press for behavior he says destroys lives and that his deepest fear is history repeating itself. In a rare move, the Duchess of Sussex striking back, suing a British publisher after the Mail on Sunday published excerpts from a handwritten letter to her father that revealed painful details about their estrangement. In a strongly worded statement, Prince Harry lashed out at the tabloids. He says it vilified his wife. I have been a silent witness to her private suffering for too long. There comes a point when the only thing to do is to stand up to this behavior because it destroys people and destroys lives. The prince compares the treatment of Meghan to his late mother, Princess Diana, who was hounded by the press until paparazzi was blamed for the car crash that took her life. My deepest fear is history repeating itself. I lost my mother. And now I watch my wife falling victim to the same powerful forces. This couple have released statements before, but I don't recall one that has been quite so personal. You can really kind of feel his anger in that statement. It's not the first time the couple has taken on the tabloids. Earlier this year, a paparazzi agency paid damages for publishing pictures of the couple's home. The royals say they are paying for the lawsuit out of private funds. 
and any proceeds would be donated to an anti-bullying charity. In a statement, the Mail on Sunday says it stands by the story it published and will be defending this case vigorously. While the royal couple wraps up their tour of Southern Africa, their first public trip with infant son Archie, now making headlines of a different kind. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News. <laughs> Duchess has some rhythm. Uh, listen, before we go, thank you very much to all of you generous donors. Uh, our viewers are amazing. Variety, the children's charity, can now help 45 kids, and the phones will continue to remain open. Yes, you can add to our donations. It is Variety Week all week long. 310 Kids is the number to call, or you can go online to Variety. .bc.ca. You can also text the word KIDS to 45678 to make an automatic $20 donation. Thank you, White Spot, for matching those donations, too. Last word mm. before we go on a beautiful sunset evening. Yes, so tomorrow, mainly dry, mainly cloudy. Well, Thursday looks like the wet one. And Friday, it's only a 40% chance of showers for you guys out there, so not too bad. I'll work on that a little okay, bit. Okay, yeah. Thank you, Chris. Keep tweaking it. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Have a good night.